And so with that in mind, I want to look at some things that the Bible says, and uh, we're going to walk through these <clears throat> together. You can turn to these scriptures as if you'd like, but I'm also going to put them on the board because there's a number of them, and I'm going to put uh, a few of them on the screen that have some highlights in particular. And so really this is more just kind of sharing a little bit of my heart uh, with you. I'm a little bit wrung out um, this evening uh, just from the emotion. There is a finality to today uh, as a son uh, that um, no matter what happens, that there's a completeness to this day uh, that has wrung me out a little bit emotionally. And so we're going to walk through this together uh, as best we can. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 4 and 6, if you'd like. And if you want to jot these down, you can. I can give them to you later if you'd like. And whoever your pastor is, whether it's me or someone else in a, a year or two, you can say, hey, remember when you talked about this? Or, hey, uh, God's Word says this. And let's, let's work on this together, be accountable to each other. Number one, a pastor should find sufficiency in God and not in himself. Look, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 4 through 6 say, And such trust we have through Christ to Godward. He's speaking to ministers. Just before this, he talks about elders and ministers. And he's speaking to ministers. He says, We have this trust Godward. Our faith is Godward, not manward. Why? Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter or meaning of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter or the law killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. He said, we are not here to make people obey or not obey. We are not here to work this ministry on our own. If you are a pastor, if you are a leader in the church, you are to be filled with God's Spirit, and your sufficiency for your ministry comes from God and not from self. It doesn't matter how well you speak. It doesn't matter how well you study. It doesn't matter how well you lead or how well you delegate. It matters how much you rely on your Lord. So we find our sufficiency in God Himself. And by the way, these are not just notes for only pastors. They're notes for all of us as Christians. Number two, we must understand that ministry is given in mercy and not earned in effort. 2 Corinthians, just probably a page over for you, chapter 4. Uh, uh, verses 1 and 2 say this, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Literally what he's saying is, we have received ministry the same way that we received salvation, and it was by mercy. Uh, God doesn't look down. The Bible says not many mighty, not many noble are called. Not many of those are chosen, but God uses those that are of weak estate. God uses those uh, that have needs. God uses those that are not perfect. That's who He uses. And it says, therefore, we realize that we receive ministry not because we have earned a chance to minister, but because God is merciful. And we have renounced, notice this, the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So what is he saying there? He says, if you understand that your ministry is given by mercy and not by earning it or by your own effort, you will do these things. He says, we faint not. He says, don't quit. You don't quit ministry because it was given to you by mercy and not effort. When your talent goes away, you don't quit. When the support goes away, you don't quit. When an idea does not work, you don't quit. You persevere. You push on. You keep serving God because you did not earn your position. It was given to you in mercy. You abandon. You see there in the verse, you abandon secret and shameful things. 
You choose not to be deceitful because God has given you this position in mercy. You handle God's Word for truth, not bending it to your own desires or to promote your own cause or your own ideas. But you handle God's Word with truth if you're a minister. Why? Because He's given you this ministry in mercy and you have not earned it. Commend yourself to God and man. And notice, by openly showing truth. It says, but by manifestation of truth. By openly showing and displaying the truth of God's Word. You learn that ministry is given in mercy. It's not earned by your effort. Number three, give yourself first to prayer and God's Word. Acts chapter 6, if you look there, I'll put it on the screen as well. Acts chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. We're going to mainly focus on verse 4 and 7. But they choose these elders, these pastors, they choose deacons in this particular uh, passage in Acts 4. And when they choose these deacons, they choose so that they can minister to the church physically. And they choose so that they can help and assist those that are leading this church. Um, why did they uh, want to do that? What was the need for? Look at verse number 4, if you would. It says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They had gotten so busy doing things for people, which was good. And they had been so busy serving people, which is good, that in a way they had neglected the ministry that they had to God's prayer and uh, to prayer and to God's word. And so they say, give yourself first to prayer and God's word. And when you do that, look at verse number seven. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and great and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What we want to see within our ministry is not just adding people. If you add people that's just simply one person going and getting somebody else and one person going and getting somebody else and one person going and getting somebody else. What God's Word teaches is we want to see people multiply. Well, what does that mean? That means I win one person and then they win one person. And while they're winning one person, I win one other. And then that person wins somebody. And they multiplied because they were able to give themselves fully to prayer and to God's Word. Number four, a good one, very simply, preach the word. Don't preach opinion. Don't preach preference. Don't preach tradition, church politics. Don't preach mystery. Don't preach your own desires, your own culture. Don't preach trends. Don't preach a fad. Preach God's word. Second Timothy chapter four, verse one through five. Really, it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And notice it says uh, in verse 4, And they shall turn uh, away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Make full proof of thy ministry. What does he teach Timothy here? You notice the words I emphasize, preach the word. What do you do in preaching the word? No matter what the time is, no matter who's around, you correct error. What he says by that is you correct it by truth. You reprove, you rebuke sin, and then you exhort, you encourage. So what do we do when we preach? We correct error, we rebuke sin, we encourage the believers. And then notice it says, with all long-suffering and doctrine, it means with patience, and with gentle teaching, with teaching over and over and over. 
says others are going to do other things. They're going to turn aside. They're going to turn their ears to other ways. But you fulfill your ministry, not anybody else's. You're not worried about other churches. You're not worried about other people. You're worried about your ministry to God's word. Number five, a pastor or a minister should be a shepherd. Notice the emphasis here. Should be a shepherd that points to the shepherd. If you would look in 1 Peter 5, I get as excited about this as anything else when I think about being a pastor because it takes a little bit of the pressure off of the human pastor. Because it's not about me being able to or someone being able to lead perfectly. What it is about is about being able to point to the perfect shepherd. Look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. I'll give you what verses uh, 2 through 4 it says, Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. When he says, be a shepherd, notice what he says. He says, feed your flock and oversee them. Feed them with the word of God. And then oversee what does need to be ordered. Oversee what does need to be overseen. Notice though it says when you oversee, don't do it by constraint. Don't do it just because you have to. Don't, don't just, okay, I'm a pastor and when I have to deal with people, I will deal with them. But notice he says, but willingly, out of your love and your desire to serve the Lord. Not for money, but of your own mind that God has put it in your heart. Neither being lords, you're not a ruler over God's heritage. You're not a king over them. But what are you? You're an under-shepherd doing what? Verse number four, pointing to the chief shepherd. So if a pastor or a minister over a church, what is their job? It's to lead people. Lead them to what? Lead them to their mindset. Lead them to a great vision. Lead them to a great ministry. Lead them to increased size. Lead them to buildings and property. Lead them to ministry after ministry. Those things may come, but more than anything is lead them to Christ. Point them to the one that can fill their desires. Point them to the one that can fulfill their needs and their satisfactions. Point them to the better shepherd. Number six, keep watch over your souls. Over souls. This is what ministers are held accountable for. Hebrews 13, verse number 17. What is a pastor to do in Hebrews 13, verse 17? He's actually speaking here to the church people. He says, Obey them that have the rule or the authority over you. Submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls as they that must, as they that must give account. You're not accountable as a pastor or a preacher over everyone's finance. You're not accountable for everyone's actions. You're not accountable for everyone's preference or everyone's opinion. And there are churches that you can go to where that is what's preached because you can tell the pastor or the minister feels like he has to get everybody on the same opinion or in the same board or on the same idea or mindset. But that's not what it says. It says they're not accountable for those things. You're accountable for their souls. So if you're ministering, if you're a pastor, enjoy you lead people to your great shepherd, and you watch over souls. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, number 7, help equip, and, and I only have a couple more. You think, man, he's going to go for 30 points here. I didn't do them all. Just some important ones. I take this one to heart personally. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse number 11 and 12, if you would. 
But the point says, help equip believers to do ministry together. It is not about the pastor or the minister doing ministry with the support of the church. That's not what being a pastor is about. That's not what the Bible teaches being a minister is about. It is not that the pastor and the minister or those on staff go and work and everyone else helps them as they have need. It is the pastor that leads and helps equip people so that we together can do the ministry of God. Notice, if you would, in these verses, it says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for, for lifting up, for helping complete, for edifying the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You edify people so that they can work together to do God's mission. You build up, you edify, build up the body of Christ. Until when? If you haven't turned there, turn there. I'm looking at the board, but Ephesians chapter 4, the next verse tells you how long you do that. It says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, you just keep doing it until Jesus makes everyone perfect. You don't stop. Look at the last two things. Number eight, you rely on God realizing self cannot meet needs. Philippians 4.19, a very popular verse to us, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches by Christ Jesus. A pastor and a minister needs to understand, uh, one that follows Christ needs to understand, it is not about what he can do, it's about what God must do. It is not about how he can supply needs or be the hero, it is about how God will fulfill and supply all your need. We mentioned the building a few moments ago and answered a couple questions about that. We are asking God to fulfill and give us our need. He knows what will glorify Him best on this earth, and we trust Him for it. And then finally, and for a reason, I kept this to last. Acts chapter 20, verse number 28. You must realize that the church is not yours. It is God's. And I know that well, I know why people say it this way. I'm going to take a church, or in pastor speak, when pastors speak to each other, this is uh, my people, or uh, do you, pastor church, do you have a church, or I have my church, or whatever. There's different phrases and different ways people can say it, and I don't know that they mean it wrong or mean, but the Bible is clear when it teaches that the church does not belong to a pastor, it belongs to the Lord. Look at verse 28 says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So he's speaking here to ministers, to pastors. He says, Take care, take special care to the flock over which God has made you overseers, the flock that God has given you that you oversee. What am I supposed to do with them? He says, To feed the church of God. Why? Which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church is not the pastor's. The church belongs to God. That adds weight and gravity to the office of a pastor, to the office of a minister. And whoever pastors this church or any church that you may attend, and any member of this church needs to realize this is not ours, it is God's. This ministry, the ministry that you help in, does not belong to you, it belongs to God. The Sunday school class that you teach does not belong to you. It belongs to God. The bus ministry, the youth ministry, the Spanish speaking ministry, none of those belong to us. They belong to God. 
The buildings that we have don't belong to us, they belong to God. Which will help eliminate a lot of my preference, a lot of arguments, a lot of fighting and discord that can go back and forth between church of how things are done or not done. We do it the way that God's Word says that we're going to do it. We do it together in unity. Why? Because it is not ours. It is our God's. I mentioned this last week, I believe, in one of the messages, I think, in the evening. There's a concert, a man that I follow online that deals with land and wildlife conservation. You know, I'm into hunting and outdoors and all these different things. And I stole a phrase from him. And uh, he said of his land and his farm, he has a farm that's been in his family for 200 some years. And he says, when I'm dealing with my land and dealing with property and I'm dealing with all these things, he says, I have to, I think of it this way. And I'll put his quote up there. He says, it's not mine, it's simply my turn. And I think it's a good mindset for our church. This is not ours. It's our turn. We're going to die. We're going to be gone one day. <laughs> if the Lord doesn't return, which I hope he does. I was thinking, whoever the next pastor is, I hope he's the last one. Because I hope the Lord returns. But until he does, it's not ours. It's the turn that God has given to us. And so whoever ministers, whoever pastors must take on this mindset. Someone else purchased these people. Someone else paid the price for their souls. Someone else shed his blood for the sins of their heart. And now he has entrusted them to your care. So do not take it lightly, whether as a pastor or a minister, whether a servant in this church in a ministry or whatever it may be, you don't, we cannot handle these things flippantly. Why? Because Jesus hung on a cross for these people. Jesus hung on a cross for this church. And God forbid that I or any other pastor or minister ever of this church treat this church as though it is, it is mine. Because God says very clearly, He hath purchased this with His own blood. Let's pray together.